Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Today's episode of Reach is brought to you by our sponsor, Jackie, another secret weapon that executive assistants and women who do it all need to know about. You guys all know that feeling, right? Staring at your closet and thinking to yourself, I have so many clothes and yet nothing to wear. That is why Jackie is here. Jackie is a high-end boutique subscription styling service that you apply to join. What I love about Jackie is you get to develop a relationship with your stylist. Your stylist is someone you can text or call or email with specific wardrobe needs or ideas you have. Or maybe there's an upcoming event or trip or meeting or even a wedding that your ex is going to be at that you really, really, really want to look fantastic for. Those are exactly the types of scenarios a Jackie subscription can help with. Each box from Jackie is filled with high quality clothing and accessories. Jackie is here to help all of us embrace our style and our confidence. This is subscription styling done right for the women who do it all. So apply to join Jackie and fall in love with your style this year. Visit shopjackie.com to apply to join and be sure to tell your stylist Maven sent you with code MAVEN20 for 20% off all the items kept in your first box. Welcome to Reach, your platform to connect with other executive assistants and acquire game-changing knowledge and perspective. Reach is designed to inspire your workday, guide you through pivotal moments in your career, and transform you into the executive assistant you've always wanted to be. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Reach. I'm your host, founder and CEO of Maven Recruiting Group, Jessica Van, and today I'm joined in the studio by Jonathan Hoyt. Welcome, Jonathan. I'm delighted to be here. We are so delighted to have you. Thank you for for participating and joining us today. This is part one of a two-part series. We've decided to split this episode into two parts because this discussion is packed with tons of rich and actionable content provided by our guest, Jonathan Hoyt. We hope you enjoy it. Uh, Jonathan is a leadership coach, talent advisor, and partner at DHR, an executive search and advisory company. He helps executives become great leaders by tapping into their inner reserves of strength and resilience. Which we need right now. We do. And I just <laughs> hiked the Grand Canyon and I just, the, the, the word strength and resilience are really resonating with me right now. So uh, he also helps leaders create the conditions where their teams can do the best work of their lives. He spends most of his time working with investors and the companies in their portfolio. But before this, Jonathan spent eight years with Hydrogen Struggles, where he led their talent advisory work for investors. And he also spent five years as an internal HR and talent leader. And over that time, he's worked with over 300 executives across all different functions, which really gives him a unique perspective and knowledge base on how to activate and engage an executive, as well as how best to guide executives toward their maximum impact as leaders. We invited Jonathan to be a part of Reach because at the end of the day, you as executive assistants and he as an executive coach and advisor are dealing with the same end user and have the same fundamental challenge of how to most effectively access the executive, uh, their desires, help them realize their goals, and how to just get through to people and how to be heard. 
So today he's going to share with you some of the coaching techniques that he's developed over his decades of experience, as well as some of the breakthroughs that he's been able to have as a result in the hopes that you too can gain some additional skills for how best to work with your executive. I think this conversation cannot be more apropos for this audience. So once again, Jonathan, delighted to have you. Thank you for being here and can't wait to dive in. Yes, thank you. So to start us off, I understand that once upon a time, uh, coming out of undergraduate school, uh, you were an executive assistant to a gentleman by the name of Lou Harris, and his company conducted public research and polling and had been the pollster advisor to, uh, to advise JFK in the 1960 race against Nixon. What did you learn from his experience of being his executive assistant? Yes. Uh, so I can really relate to your to the listeners of this podcast because that was my very first professional experience. And Lou Harris was a, a typical executive. He was super demanding. The, the projects and the situations were constantly changing. He was always wanting to do things that were super hard or even impossible to do. So, and, and he was difficult to work with. And, but what I wanted to share is one thing that Our I, listeners only have easy executives, Jonathan. Oh, is yeah, that right? Just, yeah, oh. just to clarify, <laughs> nobody's ever demanding. They're always easy. <laughs> There, but what made what I what I owe to Lou Harris is that he he trained me on thinking about the business and the way he did this for me and and for my predecessors in in this executive assistant role was that he would call me at home at give or take seven a.m. And he would basically interrogate me about what was in the news that day. I mean, he had already been up for a while at that point, and he had digested the New York Times and probably the Wall Street Journal and the Washington Post, and he wanted to debate the stories of the day with me. And he also wanted me to know. He wanted. He was constantly asking me, what does this mean for our business? If you think about what public opinion research is, it's basically providing research about public opinion to people whose businesses are affected by it. Companies and organizations, whether they're nonprofits or, or who are affected by politi- the political news of the day and the business news of the day. And so we were, he was pushing me to understand what these stories meant for our business in public opinion research. And he wanted me to, he wanted to know who needs insight about this issue? Who might benefit from a research study that would provide insight on this? And so, and that pushing me to constant, to read the news and to be thinking about what does it mean for our business, for the work that we're doing, for our team. That was a wonderful, um, that was a wonderful experience. And I will always, I will take that away in everything else that I did. The the instinct to always be looking for what does this mean? How can we use this? Um, how does this affect us? And what are the implications? That was priceless. Yeah, that's brilliant training. And just the 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 conditioning as well of, of knowing that you have to come prepared into every room and prepare yourself for every encounter. Yes. I think that's, I mean, that's so essential to what an EA does with their plan A, their plan B, their plan C. I mean, they're all about contingencies and, and never having, you know, never being sort of caught unawares or, un, or off guard. So, yes. Yeah. Yes, and always be seeking in- intelligence and information that can help to um, inform the work that they're doing and the choices that they're making. Because, okay. 
because EAs are extraordinarily, you know, I know having worked in organizations how critically important they are because they are ultimately making decisions about how executives use their time. And that is a huge source of impact, really. Yeah, that's a great soundbite. I agree. So let's start with a definition to help anchor this conversation. Can you define for our listeners how you view your role as an executive coach and really kind of more fundamentally, what what does a coach do? Yeah, I think it's a good question. And I guess I'd you can think about uh, a coach, uh, an, an executive coach is – there's a sort of a spectrum on on one end you would have like an expert who is going to teach you the details of a particular topic like let's say an M&A expert who's going to walk you through how to manage the acquisition of a of a company right who knows all the ins and outs and the technical details right that's that's like that's an expert and then on the other hand a coach is in a, in a lot of ways the opposite of that because what a coach is doing is not necessarily saying here's how to do it. The coach is helping to cultivate the capability to figure things out inside inside a person, inside a leader. So it's really about cultivating that capability, which uh, which is incredibly important now. And I think one of the one of the interesting things that we've seen in the coaching world is that the um, the Coaching has become much more accepted than it was 20 years ago, 10 years ago. It has become, I mean, it's, it's even in shows like Silicon Valley, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's entered the pop- popular consciousness that executive coaches are a, a positive and powerful force, sometimes even a little too powerful, right, in, in the popular, in the, in, these, um, in the way they're portrayed. But where, where, I see, where, where I see coaches really doing their very best work is when they help to when they help leaders to uncover the unconscious assumptions that they're making about the world and then help them to see how those assumptions are holding them back or preventing them from being successful. If you think about it, we are we are our minds are collections of trillions of neurons that have been forming connections since before we were born. Mm-hmm. And we are all the product of all of this habituation and all of this habit forming that that you know the great majority 99% of it is unconscious we are unaware of how our behavior is shaped by our um, by all of those experiences and so what a coach can help help a leader to do is to uncover where those assumptions are really holding them back or preventing them from from being successful i'd love to share an example of 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 a um, of a coaching project that I think can might shed some light. So, yeah. So this was a um, this was a leader at a large tech company that you've heard of. Okay. Um, and um, this this leader had grown up in India, and in a very in a very competitive environment. He was he was uh, of a top student. He was a top athlete. He was always seeking to be the best in everything that he was doing. And in his early life and in school and then in the first few jobs that he had um, in India and then later in, in the States, he, um, they, were, they were jobs that, that rewarded individual excellence. And so he really had built up this model that he was a competitor and that he needed to be the best. And, um, and what, when I met him, he had been at, at the company for about a year. He had been, he had been recruited in to take a key role and he was struggling. 
he wasn't getting the resources that he needed to to do his work. He wasn't getting to hire a team. He wasn't getting buy-in for his plans. And of course, we all experience setbacks, but for him, these setbacks were devastating because he felt like he was losing. He felt like he wasn't winning, that this this set of behaviors that had served him so well for so many years was suddenly not working. And it just left him crushed and he was gaining weight and he was just feeling mm. lousy and he was he was he was I don't know what the word is, just didn't look good. Mm-hmm. You know, he just he was demoralized. And so what I helped him to do was to help him to see how his competitive mindset was, while very useful to him in some ways, was also holding him back. And we came up with this shorthand for his competitive instinct, which we called the race car driver. Mm. The race car driver wants to win, right? And being second or being third isn't, isn't really nearly as good as winning, right? And so I helped him to see that he had this race car mindset about his interaction with colleagues and his, his efforts inside the company. And because he was so competitive, I think it was, it was, it was, it was preventing him from getting the buy-in that he needed. So what I did with him was after really getting to know him and understanding his world, understanding all of the different um, experiences that he'd had that were, were, that were shaping him, um, I helped him to see this mindset, the, the race car driver mindset. And then we, we jointly came over a few different sessions. We came up with this new, better mindset that was going to work better for him. And we called it the, um, the pioneer leader mindset. Mm-hmm. You think about what the pioneers who crossed the Rocky Mountains to get from the Midwest to California 150 years ago, they were collections of immigrants and they were whole families and they're usually groups of families traveling together. And so one of these leaders had to be cultivating an alliance with the other families and working together to to address a common challenge and to get to a common goal. And so this pioneer leader mindset helped him to realize that he could see his colleagues as as fellow travelers getting to a shared destination. Right. And that mindset served him wonderfully. And it was really amazing because it was like a a switch flipped in in the course of just a few weeks in using that mindset in his interactions with colleagues, he was suddenly getting a very different kind of result. And I worked with him for maybe five months, which mm-hmm. is in the scheme of things, not, not a not long, long time. time. And during that time, he got the ability to recruit a direct report. And he actually inherited a couple of other people. And he was given more responsibilities and more resources. And he started to actually get traction with the senior leadership of the company in addressing his his goals, the reason why he was there at the company. So, so this mindset shift, um, which you know he wasn't aware of this race car driver mindset. It was it was shaping him and and influencing his behavior, but it wasn't something that he he was aware of. But through the conversations that we have, I helped him to see that, and then and then gradually implant this new mindset. Yeah. And I don't mean to suggest that every every behavior change is this quick. Mm-hmm. He must have been ready for this at some level. He was, he was primed for this, this breakthrough. Um, it, it doesn't happen as easily usually. <laughs> usually. And behavior change, I like to think, behavior change occurs over like an 18-month period perhaps. It, it's, it's slow. We're, we're, technology is changing very rapidly. Technology is 
advances in an exponential way, like Moore's Law and the improvements in AI that we're seeing around us. But the human, right. the human being is... It, it, you know, it, it takes more time. Yeah. It takes it takes it's sure. a slower process. Well, and there's like like you explained. I mean, there's a whole oftentimes lifetime of precedence, right, that needs to be overcome uh, depending upon the individual. But I think that's a, a really wonderful example of how you were able to help him identify that he was coming from a really adversarial kind of a place and how to augment that and just shift his his thinking and his paradigm and, and really reorient to those around him. I'm curious, you know, because I, I think that there's, I imagine there's many listeners who are hearing this story and thinking, yeah, like, I, man, I, I, could, I can identify a few patterns or behaviors or tendencies that my executive has that are, that are less than productive for how they relate to people or their direct reports. How, when, when you're offering feedback, like, just curious about how you position that. I mean, I, I know there, there might be, you know, different kind of lead-ins that you might, um, might offer, um, you know, some people like to say, you know, what do they call it? The pro con pro kind of a thing, uh-huh. right? But I'm, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just like when you're about to nail down the hammer on uh-huh. somebody, like what have you found to be the most um, effective ways of offering input? You used the word curiosity a minute ago, and that really is the key. Curiosity is a wonderful thing. If you're experiencing curiosity and you're genuinely curious about someone, it's hard to make judgments. You're not making judgments about them. You're actually just trying to understand. And I, to me, it's one of the things that I, one of the, one of the, one of the tools of the, of the coach that an EA could absolutely use is to use that create, use that curiosity and ask questions like, I'm noticing this pattern where meetings get interrupted again and again. Well, we can't seem to keep where the schedule the schedule changes and important meetings don't happen because the schedule has gotten off whack, let's say. And one approach that a, that an EA might use is to simply get curious about it. Like why is this happening? What what might be going on? And asking questions of of their of their manager, the 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 CEO or, or others around just to try to understand why is that happening and developing and really being in kind of a learning mode about why this might be and and then saying, well, you know, this is what I'm noticing. I'm, I'm noticing a pattern. You know, what might be going on? Is this, you know, is this a pattern that's helpful or uh, would you like to change this pattern? It's really about Having having that spirit of inquiry and curiosity about the situation, uh, and resisting the temptation to make a judgment, because going back to mindsets, right? We are the product of millions of years of evolution, and you know, ninety nine percent of what's happening uh, with us in our minds and our bodies is stuff that we're not conscious about, right? Mm-hmm. Our conscious mind is is this tiny little piece. So so. There's a lot of things we don't know about a situation. So, so if you're if you're moving toward a conclusion, resist that and see if you can gather more more information and and just get curious about the patterns that you're seeing and then presenting them in a non-judgmental way. I think is a a, a really critical art and is just sort of laying it out as as the facts, like this is what I'm seeing, and I think that's one way that can be very helpful in resisting that temptation to making. Um, making a judgment or drawing a conclusion until you really have asked a lot of questions. Right. And I I, I really love that approach. And I I can imagine, too, that um, 
you know, there is an element of self-restraint, right? Because sometimes, you know, especially as an EA, you might, you might just be simply frustrated, right? You've, you've recalendered something 10 times and things are falling off the calendar because your executive is consistently late or consistently um, not mindful of the time or not, you know, not, not vigilant, not good about, you know, um, staying on track, things like that. So I, I think just exercising the self-restraint and, and again, shifting your mindset when you enter into that dialogue of, you know, you know, we've rescheduled this meeting three times already is a very different positioning than, you know, I've noticed that we've had to move these things and they're repeatedly falling off the calendar. And and yet, you know, as you shared with me, this is, this is something that's really important to you. You know, how do you feel about that? How can we work through this? Mm -hmm. So curiosity is a good one. Are there other? Um, yeah, curiosity there... is another one. Um, yeah, another one that I think is um, there's a there's a concept in psychology, um, and 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 in particular um, clinical situation clinical clinical psychological situations of of uh, kind of unconditional positive regard, and um, what that means is essentially when um, when I'm here with you. What I want to communicate to you is a sense of of complete acceptance, of complete um, of 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 just accepting you of as who you are in this moment, and and not making judgments. I think that 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 positive regard can be a very powerful tool as well for being the right kind of the right kind of supportive presence, because we are always worried about. Um, how we're being judged by other mm -hmm. people, and I think um, having that that unconditional positive regard can be a very powerful um, way of being present with with someone, whether that's your manager or a colleague or a friend, um, because it does actually open up the possibility of getting additional information about a situation. So that again, it kind of connects with the um, the the. Um, the strategy of not communicating a judgment about a situation, just really saying, this is the pattern I'm seeing. And it seems to be, this, this seems to be happening over and over again. You know, why is this happening? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm just, as we're talking, I'm imagining a lot of the scenarios that executive assistants probably experience frustration around. And I think their executive, you know, not keeping to a schedule or being, you know, um, flighty around certain priorities or commitments is I imagine top of mind for a lot of them or um, you know the way in which they work with their direct reports or the lack thereof or if there's you know kind of this in in infighting or tension among the direct reports and and the way that the executive interacts with people elicits a certain kind of you know response or tension I mean that could be a, another situation where coaching techniques could be really valuable um, you know, like the way that they communicate or, or don't communicate and if they fall into kind of these silos and, and the EA can observe that those silos are really having an impact on how, how effective the executive is able to be um, or if they're not particularly great about follow through. I mean, th these are all mm -hmm. things that I think EA is probably in that, in that role of observer have the ability to kind of observe mm -hmm. these patterns and, and see these instances yeah. arising and then again, like applying your your um, technique of of just getting in a really curious place and a non judgmental place 
to be able to say, you know, this is the effect I'm seeing that your behavior is having, or this is consistently something I've noticed after mm-hmm. you end one of your board meetings or mm-hmm. whatever the case might be. And just being able to offer that input in a non-judgmental way could be really a powerful yeah. game changer. Yeah. Thank you for listening to part one of our two-part series with Jonathan Hoyt. Stay tuned for the second half of this conversation. Reach is brought to you by Maven Recruiting Group, who specializes in placing executive assistants and support staff to the Bay Area's most prominent executives and companies. If you've enjoyed being part of our podcast community and are interested in becoming part of our candidate community, we're currently hiring for roles in San Francisco, Silicon Valley, and Los Angeles. You can visit us at www.mavenrec.com to see some of the roles we're currently working on and to submit your resume.